Welcome to the Safe Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maria Lee, General Practitioner and Medical Advisor in the health regulation sector. I analyze medical errors and clinical incidents for a living. And along the way, I've learned a lot about the principles and the mechanics of safe practice, which I'm hoping to share with you in this podcast. I hope you stay tuned. And if you learn something, please pay it forward and share your knowledge with other clinicians. That way, pod by pod, we can build a safer healthcare system together. Of course, the content and opinions expressed in this podcast are entirely my own and are not the views of any of the organisations or bodies with which I am affiliated. So, without further ado, let's get stuck into some safe practice. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Safe Practice Podcast. Now, in Season 1, Episode 12 of the podcast, I introduced the importance of acknowledging our limits and asking for help early when that happens. But theory is always richer when it's grounded in practice. And so today we're going to be discussing some real life case studies on this topic, de-identified and modified, of course. And joining me to discuss this topic, I have Dr. Jade Bevan. Jade, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for giving me your time today. Thank you, Maria. Jade, would you like to introduce yourself and your interest in this topic? Sure. Uh, My name's Jade. I'm an RMO and I've spent most of this year working all throughout Australia in lots of different departments. During my time working in different hospitals with different patient cohorts and different escalation pathways, I've really had to acknowledge my own limits and the care that I can reasonably provide in my capacity. Acknowledging your limits is so important as an RMO. You're often the first point of call for a deteriorating patient on the ward or seeing undifferentiated patients in ED. So your ability to recognise when someone needs help that is beyond what you can provide or when you're not sure what's going on is so critical to patient safety. I think it's really important to start by acknowledging that, look, we sit here and say when you hit the limits of your scope, you should ask for help. But in reality, there are some barriers to this, aren't there, Jade? In particular for JMOs. Absolutely. So what do you think are some of the barriers that exist in terms of being able to reach out for help early? First of all, I think embarrassment or shame. There's a lot of sense of, oh, I really shouldn't escalate for this. I really should know the answer myself. People are going to think I'm stupid if I don't know this. One of the other barriers is not wanting to be a nuisance, right? There's always the thought of, oh, my reg is in clinic or the consultants in theatre. I'll just keep going as best I can until they're not busy. But at the end of the day, none of your bosses want you to keep on doing something that isn't that is either dangerous or ineffective, right? Absolutely. And look, some of the teams I've been on, those clinics and theatre lists can last the whole day. Uh, so you could literally have a patient that you don't know what to do with sitting there the whole day waiting for this magical time when they leave their clinic or when they leave their theatre. There really shouldn't be any need to wait until people are not busy because people are always busy. People are always busy and if you don't bother them during clinic, you'll be bothering them on their weekend. Or six o'clock at night when they finish their clinic and they just want to go home. Exactly. Are there any other barriers that you can think of? This is one that I really struggle with and that's not wanting to bother someone at an unsociable hour. There's sometimes that moment where you're like, I know I'm going to need to wake someone up at 3am to get the help I need. And sometimes you can try and justify in your mind that, oh, look, let's wait till 7am. But if your patient is unwell, that is totally inappropriate. And no matter how upset the person on the other end of the phone line is, you always need to do what you need to do for your patient. 
I think one of the other barriers is that if you do escalate and they're not expressing the same level of concern as you, you can be lulled into such a false sense of security and think, oh, well, my registrar's not bothered about it, so I guess I'll just be able to manage it alone. What you just said really resonates, and I actually have a clinical scenario that speaks to both of those last two points that you mentioned. And the clinical scenario is that a lady turned up to labour ward um, and was found to have an abnormal CTG on admission. Now, she was admitted overnight for monitoring and overnight the CTG was abnormal several times. But the practitioner who was looking after this lady overnight justified in their mind that it was okay to sit on the patient until the next morning. And sadly, after several abnormal CTGs which recovered, there was a CTG that didn't recover. And the patient was taken to an emergency caesarean and sadly the baby was born in a very poor state. And the question that the parents asked was, would my baby be in a better state if the first several abnormal CTGs were acted upon? Now, we don't have a crystal ball. The outcome might have been exactly the same, uh, but you can bet that that practitioner would be asking themselves whether they should have escalated those previous few abnormal CTGs. And that is the type of question you never want to be in a position of asking yourself after an adverse event. Would the outcome have been better if I had asked for help? And actually this case extends into your last point about the barrier being if you've already asked a colleague and the colleague expresses no concern then you're less likely to escalate subsequently. So what actually happened in this scenario is that when the patient first presented this practitioner had actually asked uh, a senior colleague to review the patient and the senior colleague had said admit overnight for monitoring we'll do something about this in the morning and what this practitioner had done was that they'd anchored their subsequent management on what that first senior had said and as a result didn't think it worthwhile escalating further overnight and that speaks to your point that if you've got a feeling that something needs to be done it doesn't matter if someone else has already told you it's okay things change patients deteriorate you're allowed to ask for help more than once yeah absolutely I think another thing to consider as well is the level of resourcing that's available in the clinical area that you're working in. I know that if I see a patient and you know that if they were to deteriorate or need a particular level of care and that clinical area is unable to provide it either in terms of staffing or resources available, then that's another reason to escalate and to seek help early. Um, you never want someone to be sick in a place where you actually can't do anything to help them. Yes, that's a really good point. Consider the local resources available when considering whether to escalate early. Okay, so those are some great barriers that we just pointed out. The embarrassment of thinking we need to know it all and the shame of realising that we don't, which, let's be honest, all human beings have gaps in their knowledge. So that is really a fallacy um, that we need to know it all. Um, the not wanting to be a nuisance thing because everyone's busy. The not wanting to bother a senior colleague when it's an unsociable hour thing, when in reality, let's think about it, 24 hours in the day, people work eight, nine hours a day. Most of the day is not business hours. 
and anchoring our perception of whether we should escalate further based on what the first person we asked said. And it's not always the safe thing to do is to anchor to that first opinion because things change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's all um, well and good to, to know and understand these barriers, but I think another thing to consider as well is whether you actually feel supported and comfortable to escalate at work. I know I have declined shift at certain hospitals knowing that if a patient was to deteriorate, there would be little to no on-site support. And I think this is in contrast like a hospital where I was a ward-based surgical JMO and we were all encouraged to physically go down to theatre and interrupt the consultant in the middle of the procedure if they were scrubbed and couldn't take calls and there was no other way for us to ask them a question. It gets rid of that sense of clinical inertia where you feel like I need to know everything and I need to have an entire plan thought out before I go and escalate this patient, right? Because I felt empowered to say, I'll chart up some fluids and some antibiotics. While that's already charted, I'm going to duck down to theatre. So what you're saying is that it removed that paralysis of having to make sure you had the entire plan figured out before you approached your seniors, purely because your seniors didn't place any restrictions on the number of times or the contexts in which you could approach them. Yes. That is an amazing way to run your team. And you must have felt so reassured, like even if nothing was going wrong, you always had that reassurance that if something did, you would never be left abandoned to do everything by yourself. Never. It was such an amazing culture. So that's all the theory. Now let's get down into some scenarios because that's where we get to contextualise all of these points. My first scenario is an elderly patient was admitted to hospital for delirium secondary to a urinary tract infection. I was the RMO on the ward at the time. This patient had a met call overnight. That was all sorted and there was a plan in place. About an hour after the met call finished, I went to review the patient and I saw that they had a facial droop that I had not noticed during the met call. And the patient was unable to say whether she had noticed it previously. So I went through the documentation and no one had documented anything like this before. Um, the patient had had no neuroimaging before coming to the ward. So I was faced with no night registrar on site and the only option was to wake up the admitting consultant at 2am. So I did that. Um, and there's always that little sense of, oh, I don't like doing this, but we need to do it. And this patient had a... CT brain, which revealed a new intracranial hemorrhage and needed some pretty urgent neurosurgical input. So that was a pretty uncomfortable scenario at the time, but I think really showed to me how important it is just to seek help when you need it. And if we had waited until the morning, I don't know what the outcome would have been. Just, just talk us through what goes through your head when you realise you need to call a consultant at 2am. Um, I think with this particular um, case, the consultant had unfortunately gotten themselves a bit of a reputation. So I was aware that they were going to be very unimpressed to be woken up. But there is no way that I can comfortably sit here knowing this patient is a facial droop that I think is new and justify that. Um, and so when you think about it that way, you don't really have a choice. People are on call to help support and guide you. You absolutely should not hesitate to escalate if you feel the need to. I overheard two consultants talking and they were talking about when they answer their phone and they know they're being grumpy. And something that they told themselves was that this is another person who is doing their job 
and is trying to look after someone and is asking for help. And I think whenever I'm feeling anxious about giving someone a ring, I always think, I'm just a person doing my job and I'm trying to care for someone and I need help from another colleague. And at the end of the day, that's all it is. And being berated on the phone is nothing compared to the sense of not getting the patient the care that they need. I totally agree with you. And no amount of embarrassment compares to the regret of realising in retrospect you should have asked for help and didn't, and therefore the patient came to harm. That is the type of soul-crushing realisation that some people never get over. Whereas the embarrassment of being yelled at by someone who's upset that you woke them up, you get over that pretty quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. We've all been there. There was one night where I had to call Neurosurge twice, actually, the first time I got an earful. The funny thing is I called the same neurosurgeon again about an hour later. And when I explained that context, that particular neurosurgeon begrudgingly went, fine, I will come in for this one. So here it is, me just being me an hour later gets a completely different response. So lesson learned there, even if you think that this person is going to be upset with you, the reality is it may turn out that they may not be upset with you. That's why we call is because we don't know what we don't know. I can bet you that that same consultant would have made these same types of calls and woken up their consultant when they were juniors. Absolutely. I always take solace in the fact that the person that I'm talking to on the other end of the phone, this is another person who has their family, they have their own life outside of work and they can be angry just like I can be angry. That's actually a really good point, Jade. You know, this person could be narky on the other end of the phone for multiple reasons that have nothing to do with you. Their kid could have woken them up five times last night. Their parent might be sick and now they're getting a phone call at 3am and that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. So that reaction, that might have nothing to do with you. It's not personal. Patient safety always comes first. Yeah, absolutely. Second scenario I have is another elderly patient. Despite the appropriate management in ED for their condition, by the time they arrived to the ward, they deteriorated and became hemodynamically unstable. I wanted to call a med call. The doctor who was taking on overnight was a senior registrar, and they disagreed and they said, we're not calling a med call. Um, this is my plan and this is what I wanted to do. After a few minutes, it was clear the situation was not improving. And so, Despite the initial instructions to not call a MET, I went ahead and, and I did call a MET call. This resulted in the patient being transferred to ICU and the on-call consultant coming in. So this is a pretty tricky scenario to be in where you disagree with a senior about what needs to be done. And I think for me it's, it's to trust your gut. And it might not mean that someone has met a certain protocol for escalation or hasn't got enough certain points on their chart to, to have a MET. But that doesn't mean you can't ask for help. Calling for help early, because we did that, this patient had a good outcome. And I cannot tell you the number of times that I've seen this happen. Like you said, when you've got a gut feeling that something's not right, or when there is actual objective evidence of deterioration, and it flies against the advice of a colleague to do nothing, then the right thing to do is to absolutely escalate. Uh, a lot of people think that they have to be 100% sure that something is getting really, really bad 
before they escalate. When in fact, the safest thing to do is actually to escalate before things get really, really bad. Because by the time things get bad, it might be that you've missed the boat. You might already be in that downward spiral towards a really poor outcome. So yeah, like you said, trust your gut. Trust your gut. And it, so it sounds vague because it is vague, but you can't, you can't ignore that feeling when you know something's not right. Another clinical situation I had was a young man who presented to ED with chest pain on the ECG. It was clearly abnormal. I brought this ECG to the consultant and asked them to review the patient with me urgently. They were thoroughly unconcerned and told me they did not want to go and see the patient. I returned back to the bedside um, and then managed to escalate to the second consultant. They saw the patient immediately and organised some urgent testing and escalated to cardiology and that patient was taken to the cath lab the same day for some urgent intervention. This was a really disconcerting one. and. What I really learned was that it's okay to get a second opinion. Much like you'd actually encourage a patient to do with their own care, you're allowed to think, this doesn't make sense to me, or I'm still worried, and so therefore I'm just gonna go and have a chat to someone else. And that resulted in a much better outcome for the patient, and I was so glad that I did. Good job, Jade, good job. <laughs> Thanks. Excellent work. Uh, I think this brings up a very pertinent point. No human knows everything, and no human is infallible. Uh, and consultants do have lapses in judgment and consultants do make mistakes. It speaks to your point that the first opinion you get from a consultant doesn't need to be the last opinion you get. It doesn't even have to be that you need to re-escalate to a different person. You can re-escalate to the same person. It can be, hey, I actually don't understand this part of the plan. Can we just go through it again? Yeah, so that's a really good point. You don't have to act in a way that looks like you don't believe them. You could actually approach the same person and say, help me understand your thought process so that I can learn from this. Um, and it may be that they help you understand the thought process and you may end up agreeing with them or in the process of speaking their thought process out loud, they may actually come to the conclusion that something different needs to be done. When I was a junior, we saw a child in ED with very, very high LFTs. So this child had hepatitis. And I ran this past the admitting paediatrician on the day and was told that the plan should be discharged. And I think I sat on that for a while and then I reapproached the same consultant. And I said, I do not understand uh, why we're discharging the child. Can you help me understand your thought process? And this consultant said to me, it's not clear to me what we would actually do there's no treatment for this type of hepatitis. And that was their rationale. And as an RMO, I like was quivering in my boots because I was talking to the consultant and I was having an opinion. But I still, I, I still felt strongly enough that I felt I needed to say my piece. And I said, acknowledging that there's no direct treatment for this type of hepatitis, what if they go into fulminant hepatic failure? Isn't there value in making sure that their transaminitis is on a downward trajectory before we discharge them? And the consultant looked at me and I was petrified that I was going to be told off. And they said, you have a very good point. We're going to admit this child. The point there is to say that if you approach it from the perspective of saying, hey, help me understand your way of thinking 
as you're discussing it, you guys may come to new conclusions in a way that's not possible if it was just a yes or a no discussion. Okay, Jade, so we've covered a lot of territory today. If I was to ask you to summarize your messages in a few nutshells, what would your advice be? I think there's two key points from today. The first being to trust your gut. It is imperative that you respond to that sense of uncertainty or concern. My second key point is asking for help early. There is no shame in asking for help at any point, no matter how well or unwell the patient may be, no matter what time of the day it is. Absolutely. And I would add one more thing. Don't put too much fixation on what someone else is going to think of you. And it speaks more to them in their response than it does about you in seeking help. And without a doubt, it is much more preferable to feel a bit silly having asked a question that perhaps in retrospect didn't need to be asked or could have waited than to not ask a question and be left wondering, could the patient's outcome have been better had you reached out for help earlier? Jade, I just want to sincerely thank you for bringing your expertise and your insights and your advice to this podcast. I think it's so important that the things we've talked about today be shared in a public forum because it normalizes that experience of needing to ask for help. It shows people that, hey, it's not a failure on my part that I don't know what to do. It's actually what everyone goes through. You've been such a voice of incredible empathy and sensible advice. Uh, I just want to thank you for giving me your time today. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on to discuss this topic. And I, I wholeheartedly agree that it's something that we need to be more open about and willing to discuss because at the end of the day, it's only going to produce better outcomes for our patients and um, selfishly ourselves. We're nearing the end of the podcast and this is the bit where I ask you for a favour. If you thought that the content of this episode was helpful or valuable, please share it with your colleagues because the more people that know about these principles, tips and tricks of safe practice, the better it is for all of us, whether as practitioners or as consumers of the health system. And so sadly, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Dr. Maria Lee, and this is Dr. Jade Bevan. And until next time, stay safe. <laughs>